Welcome to the Strength Coach Experience Podcast. Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lego. Your host. And here we and here we go, go, go. All right, welcome everyone to the Strength Coach Experience, episode 17. Uh, today, I want to welcome Nathan Todd. He is the Chief Eradicating Officer of No Labels Defines Me Coaching. A uh, little background, um, Nathan is actually the first podcast that I was ever on and actually helped me a little bit, inspired me to start doing this. So I'm always grateful for him to do that and also want to return the favor by having him on my show. Uh, and we'll dive right into things. Nathan, man, thank you for, for coming on, man. It's been a little bit, but I'm happy we could get on here and, and uh, you know, have a nice conversation. Yeah, man. Last time we were talking, you were in Florida. So exactly. things have changed, man. <laughs> yeah, back in New York, and we were just talking. It's 29 degrees outside. <clears throat> yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity, and I'm excited to see where our conversation takes us. Exactly. That's the best part of the podcast, right? See what direction we go and, and where we end up. Uh, so why don't we go, uh, you know, right into things? Why don't we start with a little bit of background about you? Uh, and then we'll uh, go on from there. Yeah, man. So for anybody who sees this when it goes up on on the YouTube, you can't see my shirt, but my shirt actually says four pounds, 10 ounces. And that's been something that's been really um, kind of important to me at this point in my story. So four pounds, 10 ounces, what that means is I was born uh, eight weeks premature and um, given a 50-50 shot to live. And it wasn't until I was two years old that I actually received the diagnosis that I was born with cerebral palsy. Um, It's pretty interesting because my mom, for both me and my brother, up until we were about 18 years old, she wrote letters to us on our birthday and gave it to us when we were 18. And when we we're 18, we were like, well, this is fucking, I like, I don't really want these letters. Like, that's not a cool present. Uh, but during this time when we've had nothing to do, we've all been stuck inside, uh, kind of pulled those letters out. And it's interesting to read the early on letters because there's one right after I was born and it says man Nathan looked pitiful he had tubes coming out every which way he was so tiny and he was on a, a heating bed and I was on a respirator and to see that in writing is pretty pretty interesting because you know all this stuff happens to us and at that point we don't realize that it happened but it really happened and so that's kind of inspired my journey with labels uh, because you know when you're born with cerebral palsy or any type of disability you get all these projected labels from the minute you come out into the world and for the most part in society's view they're all leading with all the things you can't do And so my whole life has been 
okay, let's figure out what I can do. Let's figure out how far I can push this thing and let's bring people along for the ride and teach them and model for them that they can do it too. That's a awesome message, man. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I also was born with uh, cerebral palsy like Nathan, uh, you know, born early. And, and I think it's very interesting what you brought up with the tubes. I, that's been something I honestly being home, uh, you know, have realized too throughout the years because you see the pictures of yourself, right? And you don't know, but you try to, you start to talk to your parents a little bit and realize what they actually went through, you know, because you don't, you know, you're six months old, you know, so you don't really understand what's going on. But then you start to see those pictures, you see those things, and you really kind of get a sense of what it was like kind of worrying every single day, you know, about you and about your well-being. You know, I had the tubes and the incubators as well, man. And, uh, you know, and, and, it's just one of those things where, you know, everything you go through, as you said, is, is something that builds you up. But I, I think it's fantastic, you know, what you're doing and, and trying to crush those labels, you know, because, you know, in my experience also, most people don't even know what we have. You know, I mean, even when I was younger, and I'm sure you've dealt with it now, uh, you see a lot of people that are younger, you know, in wheelchairs or, or have issues with mobility and you think they were in a car accident or some other anomaly. And it's not until you start to talk to people that you realize they're, they kind of have a similar, uh, similar thing going on. And, and, you know, it's, it's a whole kind of different thing where, you know, it, it affects everybody different. You know, you can't really explain it uh, in one way. And, and it's kind of a thing where in order to understand just in, in my experiences, you have to really explain to somebody, you know, it, it takes, 10 to 15 minutes. It's not something, it's not a drive-by comment, if you will. So that's an amazing story, man. And again, I, I just love what you're doing and, and love the message. And it, it's interesting with our cerebral palsy, right? As you said, uh, you can look at both of us. We have the same disability, but it impacts each and every one of us completely differently. Um, and I think what I've found over time is one of the most surprising things to people, like because it's such a visible thing for mm -hmm. a lot of people, they don't realize that it's really just a brain injury. And I think even as people with cerebral palsy ourselves, it takes a minute. It takes a minute to uh, be able to even graphs that that's really what's going on sometimes because I see a lot of young kids who have it and they don't really understand that either they're like oh this is just a physical thing well it is physical but it's actually developmental um yeah we're, we're constantly fighting with our brains and, and I think that's a great thing you brought up uh, and I just want to touch for anybody out there listening that doesn't know what cerebral palsy is cerebral palsy is generally defined uh it's a brain uh, injury, if you will, that happens mainly 85% uh, of people that are premature uh, usually end up with this disability. And what happens is during the birthing process, uh, your brain is cut off from oxygen. And what happens is the developmental, uh, either cognitive or motor skills of the left or right hemisphere or both become affected. And it can range from you know, both of your legs, both of your legs in one arm, one half of your body, which is called hemiplegia, which is what I have, uh, both legs, uh, whereas quadriplegia, or it can range in a, in a, uh, in a, in a kind of a mixture of those two. And also it can, ha it can affect, um, 
cognitive function as well, brain processing and different things. It all depends on what side of the brain, left or the right or both, that it it uh, affects. And it also, as me and, and Nathan will talk about and we've been touching on, it's so vast because you can look at us and, you know, our conditions are the completely different if you saw us, you know, standing next to each other. But I actually was born, you know, earlier than Nathan and it affects everybody a lot differently. And, and there's a lot of things that go into it. So just for everybody out there, just want to clear that up. It is neuromuscular. It's all neuromuscular and it, it's all affected based on how much oxygen is received or isn't received during uh, the time in the womb and during birth. And, you know, that's how it works. And, you know, it affects so many things in such different ways. And, and there's such so many variances, but, you know, it's, it's just something that, that has to be, you know, uh, bought up and just something that, that can be more understood. Yeah. Of course. Uh, so, you know, growing up with, with CP, uh, let's get in a little bit. How, uh, you know, just explain that a little bit, you know, some of the things you went through, you know, from an early age, I know with you, we, we've talked before about how, you know, yours wasn't really diagnosed until you got a little older, uh, you know, just some of the things you had to go through and, and then kind of growing up at an early age, uh, dealing with those things. Yeah. So number one thing that I remember anything about was, um, I was, had a surgery called a selective dorsal rhizotomy, which is they go and they cut rootlets in your um, spine. So they cut the nerve endings to help release some of that spasticity. And <laughs> the thing that I remember most about that is it was during Christmas time mm -hmm. and they had a guy come dressed up as Santa Claus and he picked me up and all I remember is wanting my dad. Like I was like, no, get, what are you doing? I want my dad. Like that's all I remember. Um, but my legs were so tight that they were crossed. Okay. Like completely crossed. So without that surgery, I would not be able to walk at all. And at this point I'm still ambulatory. I use the wheelchair more than I used to as a kid because I'm getting older mm -hmm. um, and trying to maintain mobility and flexibility is a daily battle. Uh, but the other thing that that taught me at an early age was in order to even have the surgery, my mom uh, and my dad had to fight to get it paid for through insurance. And she actually had to go to the state legislature to fight to get it approved. And she was able to accomplish that. And through her advocacy and her using her voice, she was able to get that paid for for every kid who followed. Oh, wow. That had the same um procedure done and i think at an early age i got taught the importance of using your voice to fight for what you believe you should have um because along with that i was also a march of dimes ambassador uh, around the same time and so I would go and give speeches to um, organizations and middle schools and talk about why the March of Dimes and helping 
prevent premature births was so important. Um, and then it was just like every other, every other kid growing up, I imagine, like you, you want the same things Mm -hmm. and you figure out how to make it happen the way that it works for you. (laughs) One of the funniest stories that my mom tells is I've got a younger brother who's three and a half years younger than me. And so (laughs) I had the surgery. I was now learning to walk because I didn't learn to walk until I was four. And so my brother's learning to walk at the same exact time. (laughs) And he's like, oh, let's go play. And we were at a park and it had a huge hill. And my mom was trying to explain, your brother can't make it down the hill. And she's like, he said, oh, don't worry, I'll help him. And so you got you got this little little baby helping this four year old try and go down a hill. We made she said we made it like two steps and then it was all over. We just started rolling. Um, But yeah, growing up, man, my life was pretty normal. And my parents, they recognized that, yes, I have this circumstance but it's not going away and eventually they're not going to be here. So they had to equip me with the skills to be able to navigate uh, the world the best that they know how uh, until I grew up, man. Yeah. I I think that's, you know, a a big thing. And, and I, I, same thing with me, you know, my parents did the same thing. Everything was pretty normal. You know, it was, it was different to, kind of go through certain things. Um, but, you know, they taught you how to, uh, you know, everything was normal, if you will, right? If, if there was an issue with a, a sport or, or doing something, we would just kind of figure it out, you know, and there was really no, oh, you can't do this because of, you know, you have this, yeah. uh, this certain thing, uh, you know, and especially, you know, me and you were similar in age, I, I think too, from, you know, from back then to now, I mean, the advancements are insane. I mean, I, I trained a kid uh, a few years ago, who's five had hemiplegia of the left side, like I did. And when I went to talk to his physical therapist, the stuff that they do now is fantastic. I mean, I don't know about <laughs> you, but I mean, I, I got my hamstring stretched and people used to yell at me to put my foot down. And that was about, that was about it. You know, there wasn't really a lot going on. Uh, and just to touch on something you talked about before, for everybody that doesn't know also ataxia is when your muscles kind of, they lock uh, in a position and they're, they're shortened. So they're not able to move, uh, because your brain is kind of stuck in that, you know, that concentric phase in terms of exercise and they won't relax. So a lot of times what has to happen in severe cases like Nathan, um, you have to go in and you have to actually clip the muscle or, or manipulate the nerves so that the arm or the joint or the leg, whatever's affected, it can affect everything. Uh, so that can be uh, kind of released so that you can move in a, in a relatively normal range of motion. So I just want to touch on that, but yeah, man, going back on that, I think that's amazing. You know, the March of dime stuff. And, and like I said, I, I think, you know, things are starting to move because, you know, we were younger, man, there was, there was nothing. I mean, I didn't even know what I, I didn't even know what I had. I mean, you know, I used to get stretched and there wasn't a thing. I mean, I knew I had something, but I didn't really understand. Actually, when I was in college, I gave a speech about it. Right. And I, I, I did, you know, I didn't know, but it was kind of like a presentation. I, I, 
I talked about the disease. I, I, I described all the bad parts and the good parts. And then I said, I had it and people started like tearing up and I'm like, wait, 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 it's, it's okay. You know, but, <laughs> but I, I think there's, you know, what you're doing is amazing because that awareness, you know, because a lot of people, oh, it's a brain thing. Oh, but you're fine. You're breathing. You're fine. You can talk. Everything's great. But one of the things that, you know, I think we'll get into is that, um, you know, because we're kind of on the cusp of there, it's not, doesn't look that serious from the outside. I think that's what affects us. And I think that's what you're fighting against. The other thing is, and you know, we'll, we'll get into this, but the orthopedic side, you know, the breakdown of the hips, the, the different things with, in terms of joint articulation, where they break down, but it is not covered by those insurance companies. And you and I both know, right. We've talked about your hips before. And one of the things with me is, you know, I I feel like, you know, at 40, 50 years old, I, I think there'll be some issues with the back and, and some different things and they're not covered, you know? So I think that's something uh, uh, to touch on. Um, moving forward though, I just want to talk about how did you get into, you know, kind of fitness and how has that kind of changed your kind of outlook and your ability to kind of function on a daily basis? So I think it's always been something that's been a part of my life, even on the periphery. Uh, so my dad, was a high school football coach and he actually made it all the way uh, to try out for the Atlanta Falcons back in the day. So I come from a a family of athletic people um, and I was surrounded by sports my whole life. Um, And so it was something that I wanted to do, but honestly it was one of those things where I, I, wasn't sure how to make it happen and it it started to become one of those things like I don't know if it if it will be for me um like I remember the first time I ever went into a gym and and tried to lift weights dude when I I remember getting under the bench and my hips were so tight my legs weren't touching the floor Um, and so it was like, well, how in the hell are we going to make this happen? Mm -hmm. Uh, and at that point we just quit. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is going to happen. So fast forward, probably 10 or so years. I'm what, what age was it when you, uh, when you went to the gym for the first time, do you recall? Uh, so it was probably more than 10 years. So, I was probably 17, maybe, because okay. um, I would go, because my dad would go for practice and stuff, so I'd go in there, um, and so f- moved to about 30, I'm sitting on my couch, and I'm like, man, shit, I don't like the way that I look, I don't like the way that I feel, and just so happens, my brother walks in the door, He's like, hey, it's the weekend. So my gym lets me invite a guest for free on the weekend. And I was like, he said, you want to go? And I said, well, I don't got anything else to do. So I went in there and I remember doing the workout. All I did was use machines. I didn't use free weights at all mm-hmm. and just use machines. And I remember driving home. So my hands on the wheel and my arms are shaking. <laughs> but I remember thinking, oh man, this is something 
that I've been missing. Like, I need this in my life. Probably all the dopamine and the endorphin, everything was kicking yeah. in. Mm-hmm. And ever since that moment, man, I said, okay, what does it take to get a membership? I'm going to go. And it just so happened that their one of their most booked trainers also had cerebral palsy. Oh, wow. And it was easy to know because we got, we have similar gates, even if we're different, you can kind of, you notice those things. And I remember going and I was like, well, that'd be somebody cool to learn from just because they, they have a better understanding, even if it's different, they understand some of the stuff that I'm fighting against to make this work. And at that time, he was totally booked. And so I had to use another trainer. But as soon as I got in, I, I remember the days when I was happy to be working with 30 pound uh, dumbbells, 15 pound dumbbells. And there was uh, at my peak for bench press and, and uh, dumbbells, I was hitting the hundred pound dumbbell and I remember, yeah, I remember the day of thinking this 15 pounder was like, this shouldn't be this hard. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it was just a, it was just a mindset shift, man. It was just something that I said, boom. Okay. This is part of who I am. And then other stuff started happening as I started to go more and more and I got a deeper purpose into why I was going. I was going for more than just me. Yeah. I, I think that the gym, uh, you know, especially with, you know, CP and, and with people that experience things that affect the neuromuscular system, right? We talked about it before. It's not you versus I need to do this, this movement. It's, it's, can I convince my brain to do this movement or can I teach my brain uh, how to do this movement? And, and I, I feel like to recall the same sort of things with me is that when, with the weights, one of the things I think that separates weights and exercise amongst, you know, the therapies and, and the normal stuff that, that we go through is that you're, you're creating a stimulus with the weight, right? And whether you knew it or not, I had no idea when I first went in there and you either by putting that weight in your hand and attempting to chest press or do a curl your brain is learning a new pattern. And because the weight is there, we're creating a stimulus to help rewire some of the stuff. And, you know, what happens is usually, right, the brain isn't wired the right way and things move a different way. And, you know, just basic physics, the body is going to take the, the path of least resistance. So if you have an issue with a joint, if you have a tight muscle or, you know, your brain doesn't articulate a specific muscle or nerve impulse, it's going to move a different way. Well, when you're doing a dumbbell press, right, there's only pretty much one way to do it or the dumbbell is going to hit you in the face, right? So I think <laughs> it, it, it kind of has a a kind of therapeutic, but I, 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 you know, I can't kind of stress enough how good it is uh, for, you know, people with neuromuscular issues, not just CP, you know, to do that mm-hmm. because it, it changes you, you know, you're, you, you go there, you know, just expecting to be there. And like I said, same thing, I didn't want to be there. You know, I thought working out was a disaster when I, when I first went, but you learn how to retrain. And I, I think it's amazing. You know, those endorphins start following, you want to press and there's so many machines and things like that. You, you figure out the ones that you can use and the things you can do and the things you can't do. 
Um, you know, we probably deal with a little bit more injuries than, than the normal person, because yeah. you know, as much, you know, more than I do, you do one thing out of whack, a deadlift or a squat, especially those lower body exercises, uh, you know, things come apart, but you learn. And, you know, I think it's phenomenal that, you know, that trainer there had that same thing because, you know, I'm sure he had, you know, a wealth, a lot more knowledge than everybody else that worked there, you know, because, you know, from your experience going to the gym and, and mine getting into strength and conditioning, when I started as well, I couldn't listen to a regular trainer. I couldn't read your muscle and fitness. I couldn't go get your 30 minute booty burner workout off of YouTube. You know, I had to figure out what worked for me. Cause I was like, well, you know, right away you look at that. Well, I can't do that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can't do this, but I, but I know that I need to kind of use, you know, hit these different muscle groups. And then you start to relay of, okay, what do I want to learn how to do, right? Balance on one foot or, or shift my weight or move this arm this way or move this leg independently. And now you're starting to look up exercises that can help you directly with what kind of pattern you're trying to retrain yourself. So I think it's a fantastic uh, story. And I also, for anybody out there listening with CP and, and if you're younger, you know, make sure to, to start to get involved in that, find somebody, you know, me or Nathan reach out, but I, I don't think there's anything better for, for somebody that has a neuromuscular issue than getting in the gym, because, you know, you're literally going to teach your body how to move properly. You know, when it's, it's the same as training for a sport, you know, you want to get better at soccer, you do certain movements, you know, in the field of strength conditioning, which I'm in, but also with a neuromuscular issue or something going on with motor control, you can also reteach those, those patterns. So I think that story is fantastic, man. That you were able to go to a gym and, and it kind of helped you get the endorphins going and also that you met somebody else that, that kind of understood what you're going through. And I think I would say to anybody specifically who has a, a disability and you have to make those adaptations and those adjustments, like set PRs, set goals that don't set them according to what everybody else is doing. And I'll That's give you an example. Uh, so, I mean, before I started working out, I was 145 pounds. Like, and that was, I could just guarantee 145 pounds. By the time I was done, and I haven't worked out uh, as regularly as I did before COVID and all that stuff. Everything's switched to at home if I uh, am working out. But I moved up to 155 pounds. I increased my weight by 10 pounds. That became my normal set point. And I was basically doing a deadlift or a rack pull for me I consider that a deadlift as it, um, it was the closest I was getting for the most part from getting it off the ground um, but I was I got up to 245 wow and the thing about that it's not good but my ego was taking over like holy shit that's as badass to be able to do that. I did that on one leg pretty much mm -hmm. because wow, of how crazy. my hips mm -hmm. fire. Yeah. That and that's, and no, that's, but like I said, it's, it's all about what you can do. I, I think you brought it up, you know, set goals, but set goals for yourself, not oh everybody around me is deadlifting 315. What can you do in your pattern? You know, you said off of, off of one leg, you know, and, and, you know, so, you know, that's not going to be the norm, but that's fantastic. And I, and I think that's most important, you know, when you start going to the gym, set 
individualized goals, you know, just so you can track your progress and, and kind of figure out where you want to go. Uh, and, and, you know, and like I said, you have to get away from those norms because it's, you know, you, a magazine's going to tell you, Oh yeah, start at three fifteen, go up to four fifty. You're not going to do those things, you know, and if, 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 and, you know, I think Nathan brought it up with the ego, if you let that get out of hand, you're going to get hurt, especially if you have, uh, you know, the joints articulate differently, the hips sit differently, you're lifting off of one leg, one arm, whatever uh, issue you have. Uh, you have to be careful because I was the same way, man. 11th grade, I popped my back out because I'm deadlifting 405 with all my boys. And I really shouldn't have been, uh, you know, sniffing that because you're pushing off of one leg. You know, I, I have uh, atrophy of the left calf, so I don't drive off my heel. There is no glute activity off the left side. However, my right side is is perfectly fine. But when you lift off of one leg with, you know, uneven hips, uh, eventually, you know, the, the, the hip's going to give out and, and we're going to run into some problems. So I think it's very important to set those goals. Also push yourself, but also don't get caught up in, you know, I, I know you're going to want to, especially, you know, as a teenager with the world of Instagram and everything else, but make sure you're being diligent because you can hurt yourself, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it does have an, a lasting effect on, on, uh, you, if especially if you have different joint articulations. Um, so why don't we move into uh, how you got involved into, you know, the motivating and the admission of, you know, becoming an advocate for disability awareness uh, and just how that's been going. Yeah, so that I started as the muscle motivator and I realized that the fitness led to more people paying attention to just me and what I was about. So I I treated it like every time I go somewhere, I've always had this idea and thought in my head that I feel an obligation to show up and, and be as great as I possibly can because I feel a, a sense of responsibility to every other person with a disability. The -hmm. fact that, I represent somebody, somebody's idea of what a disabled person can look like. And I think that's, I think that's incredible. I did not want them to think about this kid on the couch who gets a check and does nothing. Cause I think that's a big picture for a lot of people that, There are people that receive social security, they receive government assistance, which there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But that's the expectation I think that the world at large has for a lot of people. And I knew that by doing the work in the gym and then the work with the coaching, I could shift that perception for the people who came in contact with me. And one of the greatest things that I ever did was probably the first, the first kid I worked with. And, and it just so happened I was in a online forum, a fitness forum with a, a top podcast in fitness. And I would post videos and people would be like, Oh, how are you, how are you doing that? Like, How's that even possible? And then they do the, the uh, your form is horrible. So you have to tell that whole story. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm like, yes, I know. The form is my form. Uh, but this kid got introduced to me because I would say, 
I have cerebral palsy. Here's why my gait or my pattern is the way that it is. And he showed his friend who happened to have cerebral palsy. And he's like, hey, if this guy's doing it, I think you can absolutely do it. Randomly, the kid starts following me on Instagram. I have no idea this interaction has taken place. Uh, But I start following him and seeing what he's about. And we work out together for one month. I said, hey, man, I'd really like to work with you for a month. No strings attached. You don't have to pay me nothing. I get your student, all that stuff. And the first thing his parents are like, is this dude scamming you? <laughs> like, what? do you trust this guy? And the second thing I'll never forget is we did farmer walks. Like I said, you, you told me you want to increase your grip strength. Let's do farmer walks. And his dad never thought it was possible. And I remember him calling me and being like, I just saw my dad cry because uh, he saw something happen that he never thought was possible. And mm-hmm. that moment will never leave my my mind ever because, look, all as a coach for all the coaches that are out there, like it isn't about the shit that you say. It's about what you model. Like all humans do everything off modeling. I didn't have to do shit for that kid. All I would do is go work out. I would make a video of me doing something he wanted to practice so he could see it. And I did a bench press the next day. He's like, oh, yeah. So I, I increased my bench press by five pounds. And like he just took it and ran with it. But people watch what you do. It's not about what you say. No, I, I think that's an incredible story. And, and I think you're, you're correct. It's all about the impact that you leave as a coach, right? It's, it's not about the exercise selection. It's not about even where they're, where they go, you know, yes, we want to see everybody succeed, but when you're talking about certain things like that, you know, with injuries and, and disabilities, I think it's very important, you know, when you're a coach, it's all about the impact. Right. If, if you're doing I mean, you know, having the father being emotional, you know, getting the kid to do things that he can't do. I think that is the best and most rewarding thing. Uh, you know, I've, I've worked a little bit, too, with people that have, you know, uh, disabilities or, or have, you know, kind of issues with, you know, orthopedic stuff and, and things that they've never thought they'd be able to do and getting them to do those things you know, letting them rediscover things that they thought they would never do. I, I don't think there's anything that's more rewarding. And I think those are things that, that kind of stay in you, you know, so it's not the kid that you train who bench presses 700 pounds, you know, it's that lasting impact. And I think Nathan makes an amazing point with that wonderful story that, you know, when you coach and when you get into coaching, it's all about the impact, right? That kid is going to remember you for the rest of your life because of how you've changed. And as you said, and, you know, I can see it in your voice and stuff, it radiates with you every day while you do this, uh, you know, and, and also too, you know, going out and being the best person that you can be because you feel like you represent the community and everything that you do say, or, you know, how you um, kind of carry yourself makes a, makes a big difference. So I, I think that's awesome, not only for the uh, you know, the, the community, but also just in general for everybody that's, that's into, you know, stuff where you're, where other people are involved and, and things like that, you know, taking kind of responsibility as a whole, even though you, you don't really have to. The funny thing with that is though, as much as I try and do that on a daily basis, it's so Mm -hmm. much outside of the norm Mm -hmm. that I get a lot of hate. 
from other people with disabilities because I'm breaking the norm of what they know mm-hmm. and it's not comfortable. So I would say that's, that's the point in life is get out of being comfortable. Cause when we're comfortable, like that's, you're not going to grow there. You're not going to reach your potential there. And it's just not fun, man. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. No, you never want to be comfortable. You never want to end up in that complacency, you know, and I think that anybody, you know, that has an opinion on those things, you know, what you're doing, you know, they need to take a, a kind of an examination of what they're doing, you know, because as you know, most things, uh, when people pr- project them on you, if you will, there's an issue with them. And it usually has nothing to do with, with what's mm-hmm. going on um, with you. Uh, so why don't we get into what uh, we, we touched on a little bit, what would you like to see change uh, in in, I guess, the, the community, you know, the country in terms of, you know, how people are, are treated with disabilities. I mean, I know we went over that, but just certain things, you know, like maybe, uh, you know, more uh, access to gyms or, or different places that you've seen where maybe if we have more openness or maybe, you know, different forums and things like that, what would you like to see change in, in the community and what, what kind of things are you working on uh, right now for that? Oh, shit. And, and fitness, I think it is just more physical access Mm -hmm. to gyms and equipment and more trainers that like have a specialty with people with disabilities. Um, Because right now I would say a lot of people just don't even see gyms as a possibility. Um, The only physical activity I think uh, is therapy like we talk about physical therapy or or the hand bikes those are those are big the every gym has one of those yeah just in case yeah no i i completely agree with it with the gym thing yeah i I think there needs to be uh you know somebody of of your caliber or mine and and to come in there and and actually design you know be great to see you know design machines based on what uh you can do with cp uh for everybody out there listening and for you nathan if you want there's a guy his name is mike borowis uh he was my uh performance director with the mets he is is one of the first people that i've seen do that he does a lot of rehab with uh people with he started off with people that are paralyzed uh there's an e60 out there uh one percent it's an amazing story he's an amazing person i mean i i still keep contact and he, he kind of changed me when i was around there but he's pretty much the only person that i've seen uh, that really dives into that because he does have kids with cerebral palsy uh, also, and also people that have brain injuries and, and different things like that. Yeah. So I think it's a mindset shift there that fitness is for everyone. Um, and then as the community speaking directly to the people who have disabilities, like one of the stories that I keep hearing over and over and over is the idea that they're a burden like and I think that comes from a repeated narrative by society that they are a burden um and so I would tell anybody listening right now if you have a disability or if you know a family member or a friend who has a disability like you're not a burden. They're not a burden. They're a person just like you, just like me. Um, They just have a different circumstance in their life that is showing up for them. Um, And I think that 
one of the most powerful things that can happen is to have more conversations around disability and using the word disability and not treating it like a bad or dirty word. Mm -hmm. Like there's so much shame that comes with that word, with that label that it, it's not necessary, but it's there. It's real. And I think when we say things like handicapable or take the dis, like take the dis out of my ability, I think we're teaching people not to be a hundred percent who they actually are. There's nothing wrong with the disability. It's just a life circumstance. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I think, yeah, that that kind of stigma, right? I think it should be along the same lines as you know, tearing your ACL or or kind of breaking your wrist, right? These are this is something that you were born with, right? This is something that you have to deal with. And I don't think if you don't grow up with a disability, you don't really understand the trials and the tribulations uh, that everybody's going through. But also, I think to, you know, which is exactly brought up. it's not a dirty word, right? You have a disability. Yes, I have a disability. However, I'm going to do the best that I can to, uh, you know, make the best of everything to make awareness. And then that's how things get better. Yeah. I think there's still a a fear of, oh, well, you know, he has a disability. And then there's that kind of thing also where people try to treat you different a little bit. um, And, you know, or they try to protect you when in reality, you know exactly what you can do and what you can't do. And you'll stop somebody, you know, a hundred percent when you're going to get there. Other than that, let you be, you know, that let you, let you go and, and kind of let you do the things that you're able to do. Right. But I think, <laughs> or you'll be an idiot and you'll push the boundary fast. What you <laughs> are able to do like everybody else. Exactly. Or there's that part, you know, exactly. But I think, you know, it doesn't allow for that if you don't give them the initial opportunity to do those things. Right. Yeah. There's a lot mm-hmm. of things I've done. I'm sure you too, that you're not supposed to do, but you know, you're like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go do that. But I, I think that's great. Yeah. I, I believe the gyms should, you know, to be more accommodating, you know, and they don't have to change the whole thing. Uh, you know, I think that's another thing you touched on where it doesn't have to be, this is for people with disabilities, right? Just make it a normal, make a normal machine, but say, okay, you can get a a wheelchair up to here, or you can do, you know, something else, make it a little bit more accessible and just kind of fit it in a little bit more. You know, it doesn't have to be, and I know you you talk about stigmas a lot in your, in your podcast and in your talks, it doesn't have to be a big thing, right? It can be Mm -hmm. a little modification to certain things so that somebody with a disability, you know, not even cerebral palsy, whatever it may be, where now you can come in and you can do things you know, normally, because I think that that goes through everything, you know, across the line, you just want to be treated normally, right? You don't want it to be, oh, well, he has a disability. How do we, how are we going to change what we were originally going to do to include him, right? But by doing that, it, it, it kind of gives you an inferiority complex, but also I think it, it takes away, as you talked about opportunities or different things that you should be able to do because everybody's still kind of afraid, you know, oh, they can't do that. You might hurt yourself. Like I said before, you know, your limitations, you know, where you're going to go and, and you're also hundred percent responsible for what happens. Yeah. That, that fear of somebody like suing you for <laughs> like, okay, we all signed a waiver when we yeah. signed up to come here. Like if they don't understand the waiver, then that's a whole complete 
other issue that doesn't involve the gym, but they signed, like, I understood the risk of going to the gym. Like, I, I remember watching a dude tear his peck on the bench press, and I was like, oh, that, oof, nope. Oh, yeah, I've seen my share. I've seen all of it. Yeah, yeah. Normal People without disabilities just blowing stuff in half, yeah. And I think, too, one of the biggest things that, for people with disabilities, I caught the angry disabled person syndrome. Mm-hmm. So if you feel like you should be able to go work out at the gym and it's not currently accessible and you get angry about that, like there's a place for that anger, but I guarantee you that's not going to get an accommodation made for you. Uh, we get to show up and, and be a model of, like who we want to be at our best. And I would say go into your gym, even if you don't have a gym, but you have one that's close. If you want to go to the gym, go into the gym and see what's accessible and actually see where there could be potential opportunity for accommodations that you know because it's workout that you would do and say, hey, I think that this would be something that you guys could do and it would potentially bring you a whole lot more revenue. Like, because people forget about that point We're we're the largest minority group in the world and people with disabilities do have a lot of cash, even though people don't see it that way. Like there's a lot of cash on the table that people leave out when they, uh, exclude people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think there's there's always a better way to do that. And you're right, you know, come up with a, present a problem with a possible solution is always better than here's a problem, you fix it. Or as you know, you know, with most things, regard you know business anything if you come in with with uh you know a negative attitude or or something like that usually things aren't going to go well um you know so you always want to present it in a way you know be nice and polite and and most people will will be able to to kind of accommodate you so i think that's a good point you know if you want to work out if you're interested in it uh you know you, you can't can't hurt to ask you know if they say hey you can't come in here now we have a whole nother issue which which we can deal with and of course we don't want but i also think you know you know, approaching it in a stern way and, and kind of being able to open a new opportunity, right? You know, you never know what kind of opportunities will open it until you ask. So I think that's um, something big. Uh, so for anybody listening, you know, younger, going through, uh, you know, with a disability or going through some stuff uh, from your experiences, what advice would you would you kind of give them, uh, you know, if they want to just if they want to become kind of a, a, a uh, an inspiration like yourself, or they want to get into fitness, what, what would you say, you know, what piece of advice would you give them? I would say like, it starts with you first and foremost, nobody can do it, but you. Um, uh, there's this thing that I've, I've recently talked about. I gave 10 pieces of advice for kids with disabilities. And I said, come to the realization that you don't have to be an inspirational speaker and you sure as hell don't have to go work as a Walmart greeter. Like, I think there are two very extreme ends of what people expect from P 
people with disabilities and they're those two extremes you're gonna go be a janitor somewhere or stand and and be the door greeter or they expect you to be an inspirational speaker uh just because somebody tells you that you're an inspiration it doesn't mean that you have to go be an inspirational speaker or a motivational speaker whatever you want to call it i would say spend as much time as you can developing skills around your ability to communicate with other people, develop skills around uh, emotional intelligence, understanding your emotions and how they impact you. And don't worry about all the, this is the path. Cause I'll tell you where the path gets you like, 2008, graduated college. We got hit with the recession. Like, everybody was getting smacked in the face. I'd done all the stuff I was supposed to do. I had completed the path. And then all these people kept telling me, no, you you can't have a job. You can't have a job. And I was like, well, what shit? What did I do? Like... This is what I was supposed to do. I'm supposed to get a job and now I'm going to go get a house, get married, all this other shit. And then life is like, no, that's not how that works for for you. And that's kind of the thing is your path is your path. It's not going to look like what people tell you it's supposed to look like. You get to work on yourself as long as you work on yourself. I believe that stuff is going to work out. Uh, you can't change anybody else. You can't uh, necessarily, uh, if other people are dependent upon you for their happiness, I would evaluate being in a relationship like that uh, because you can't be somebody else's happiness. Um, so I would just say work on you and the the path will figure itself out absolutely uh we're all on a path uh we're on our own path not compared to anybody else's regardless of where you are uh and also you know uh working on yourself is is the most important thing and the more you work on yourself and the more you show compassion and kindness and everything else everything will work out there is no set path and there is no set blueprint although we'd all love to uh to have that there um uh so Last point I just want to go through because we talked about before the show. Talk a little bit about what you're doing now with the with the preschools, uh, and then we'll just touch on where people can reach you uh, if they want to ask you more questions and, and get in touch with you. Yeah, man. So um, what I'm up to now is I help a lot of outside of the preschool. I help people who are lonely, right? I help people. Um, get rid of their loneliness so they can find connection in their life and be seen and heard. But with the preschools, what I do is I help um, early intervention programs who have children with disabilities figure out ways to make their programs inclusive to help eliminate the suspension or the expulsion of children with disabilities because there's a very high rate for kids with disabilities who get expelled and again 
I mean, that goes back to the narrative, right? Uh, of when people don't understand something and there's a fear there, it's much easier to avoid it than to kind of work together to figure out how to solve a problem. Uh, people, that's why people, <laughs> when they see their kids stare, they're like, don't stare, don't ask a question, because there's a fear there um, that's existed for a long time. So I, I hope uh, I'm brand new to this. So one of my hopes is to help eradicate some of that fear so that even kids before they start school, they can have some of that self-love, that self-kindness to be see themselves as the perfectly imperfect human that they are and not that normal stereotype of you're a bad kid you're a bad kid because you have this thing um i hope that's something that comes out of my work here well i'm sure that that is something that's going to happen and i i think that's uh you know something that uh, needs to happen. And I think it's great that you're taking the steps to do that. Uh, because if if you eliminate, you know, that, that kind of thing where you're, you're initially separating somebody with a disability from the general public, or from the general, you know, the class, if you will, uh, you're going to create animosity. And I think that's where some of that bullying and aggression uh, comes with. Uh, so if we can get rid of that, right, obviously, the suspension will go down. And as we talked about the whole time, the more inclusion we can, uh, you know, in effect, put out there and the, the closer we can get everybody together uh, in the same kind of group without labels, you know, without, uh, you know, having differences. And also, I think you touched on it, uh, being afraid to ask questions. You know, uh, I'm sure you've gone through it as, as I did a little bit when I was younger. I would rather people just ask me questions. You know, don't, you know, you know, a lot of the stuff, uh, you know, don't stare or, point, you know, just ask a question. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I have no problems. I'll sit you down and, and give you a 25 minute, you know, lesson on, on what everything is. But, you know, I, I think that's still something that has to be done. But also, you know, what you're doing there is is fantastic. You know, breaking those labels, uh, and also, you know, helping those children at a, at a young age, um, you know, get rid of the labels and also, you know, be kind of inclusive because I'm sure that's going to have an amazing impact uh, at, for them as they grow up uh, and also help them, you know, with better lives and, and kind of avoid uh, certain things and also get more opportunities if we can get those, you know, suspensions down in, in those inclusion programs. And, you know, you know, it's interesting. The thing about questions, right, I, I would offer this to anybody who if you see somebody with a disability, like you're out and about, whatever that looks like for you right now specifically, and you're like, you reach that point where you would normally have a conversation with that person if they didn't have a disability, ask yourself, why, what's the fear behind me having this conversation with this person that stands in front of me right now? Like, so if you came up to me um, and I didn't have a disability, like you didn't know I had a disability, what would you ask me? Okay, ask that shit and you'll figure out the rest. If somebody has an intellectual disability, you'll figure that out. But you never know until you talk to somebody. And even if they do, figure out how to talk to them on their level. Yep, exactly. 
no questions are bad questions. And if you don't ask, you'll, you'll kind of never, never figure that out. So, you know, always ask questions and, and never, you know, as you said, never put judgment or labels on anybody because you never know a, what they've gone through or b what they can offer, you know, just because somebody has a, a disability or something doesn't mean that they can't uh, give you some, you know, some important information or, or maybe life-changing information. Uh, so Nathan, for anybody that wants to reach you, uh, get a hold of you, ask questions, you know, join your your program with no labels, uh, become part of your uh, community you have there. What is the best way to reach you, uh, and how do they get in contact with you? Yeah, two ways: Instagram. So Instagram, I'm at the real Nathan Todd, and then over on Facebook. Um, the loneliness coach that's where you can find me okay perfect uh, I will also I will put that on uh, that Instagram handle for everybody uh, listening that wants to get in touch with him on the podcast uh, Instagram along with the uh, when I do the the promotions uh, Nathan man I'm I'm so happy you came on I I, I love the conversation I'm happy we could uh, have this conversation and I'm just thankful that you came on, man. And I, I really loved all the stuff and, and all the stuff you're, you're doing to kind of eradicate those labels and, and kind of raise awareness for those with disabilities, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you.